Thank you, sir. We're not the first one to have to go through plagues, diseases, corruption, persecution. Could you imagine have been a Christian during the time of the Black Plague? You know, during the time when almost half of Europe died, they said. Could you imagine being a Christian during World War I, World War II, during those times, or being in different nations during the different oppression that they faced, whether in Korea or in Vietnam or during the different things that have happened throughout history in the nations, and being a Christian? How many would still be a Christian even if it cost you something? How many would be a Christian even if people didn't like you? <laughs> would you still be a Christian? Some of you are still deciding too much to eat for Thanksgiving. Did you guys have a good Thanksgiving? You thankful? Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Good to see everybody here. Glad that you are here this morning. We're going through the gospel of John verse by verse, honoring God's word, learning that which he has for us. Looking at John chapter 1 verse 19, we're going to continue in being a voice, learning from John the Baptist. Somebody say, I'm a voice. Amen. Last week we were inspired by John's testimony that he was not the Messiah, he was not Elijah, he was not a prophet, or the prophet rather, but he was a voice calling out in the wilderness, telling people to prepare the way of the Lord. Now we're going to put some meat on the bones. I wasn't done with that sermon in Jesus' name. The Lord kept stirring up more information about John the Baptist, so now we're going to take a, a trip all throughout the Gospels and harmonize John's life. Somebody say harmonize. Amen. One of the classes I'll be starting tomorrow in the Bible college is the harmony of the Gospels. We don't believe they contradict, they complement. Amen. Despite sometimes what the critics say, we see that there is a harmony in the Gospels. And so what I would like to do is read John 1, 19 and onward, and then introduce you to the other passages with that in mind, that we are going to be a voice. Somebody say, a voice. Amen. Thank you. Looking at John chapter 1, verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Your pastor is not the Messiah. Your parents are not the Messiah. That person you watch on YouTube or TV is not the Messiah. There's only one Messiah, and what's his name? Jesus. Let's get it right. We're serving Jesus. Amen. We're not worshiping people. We're not coming after even good people like John to be our answer. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. Anybody remember that old song? Come on. He said, I am not. See, he is the great I am. I'm the great I'm not. Have you figured that out yet in life? Somebody said, I'm self-made. What do I say back to them? You're a self-made mess. Without Christ, you can't make anything. You couldn't even make yourself what you You couldn't even make your bed this morning without Jesus. Jesus is one that gave you breath. Jesus is the one that gave you the mind that you have today. Jesus is the one that differentiated you from the animals today. And the reason why I won't eat you later on for uh, uh, lunch when I get hungry. Are you listening? How many are glad you're not an animal, but you eat animals? We are made in the image of God we are to honor the Lord above everything else. John the Baptist said, I am not the Messiah. More people need to say that today. Uh, sadly, New Age religion has come in and taught us all about the God within us. That is true. There is a God within us. He's a lowercase g God. He's a false God, and he's the devil, and he's been here all along. So get that God cast out of you and get the real Holy Spirit, the Father, Son, and Spirit by the Spirit come inside of you, the triune God. Amen. Oh, we're all gods, yes, and his name is Beelzebub. That's the one you are, because that's what they're believing is the lie, that we're gods. 
We are not gods. We are the creation of God. We are creatures. He is the great I am. I'm the great I'm not. But when Christ comes into a believer, we become like him, the Bible says. We're no longer sinners. Now in Christ, we're saints. You might say, why ain't a saint? Well, you can stay as an ain't or you can become a saint. How many want to be a saint today? You see, today in Christ, I am a saint. Today in Christ, I have righteousness. Righteousness that is not of my own. My own works are as filthy rags. If you don't believe me, just ask my wife. Just ask somebody who knows me. I can't do this without Jesus Christ. But in Christ, I can do all things that are not normal to my own strength. It may be natural for me in my flesh to lust, but through Christ I can have eyes of holiness, avoiding pornography and avoiding adultery all the days of my life being faithfully married. Amen? It may come natural to me to ball up a fist in anger when I hear somebody cuss me out as they did yesterday as we were preaching in front of the abortion mill. But by God's grace, greater is he that's in me with humility and gentleness than he that's in the world stirring up problems. You see, we don't stop at the I'm not. We understand that I am not, he is the great I am, and then we become like him, perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. Repenting of sin along the way, I may not be sinless, but I sin less. Can I hear an amen? How many believe Jesus Christ has done a work in you? He has changed you as you have acknowledged who he is, the Messiah, the chosen one. God in the flesh, as we'll be learning during the Christmas season, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that he would come, mighty God in the flesh. Messiah is not just a man. The Son of Man is not just a title for his, his humanity. The Son of Man, going back to the book of Daniel, is the one that is worshipped with the Ancient of Days. So the Messiah is God in the flesh. He says, I am not him. They asked him then, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Now go with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 17. I didn't have a chance to share this last week. He said, I am not Elijah. Well, matter of fact, go back. Go back, please, to the notes. I want you to see why I have to clarify this. Go to Matthew 11 first. Matthew 11, verse 12. Jesus says, if you're looking for the Elijah, John the Baptist was the Elijah. But John the Baptist, when, when asked, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. I'm going to explain to you why he didn't contradict himself. Jesus, speaking in Matthew 11, verses 11 and onwards, says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than the Virgin Mary. Is that what it says? I was talking to my Roman Catholic friends who are listening to them, and they think the Virgin Mary is the greatest of God's creation. Who does it say here is the greatest that God has created? John the Baptist, it says, among those born of a woman, was Mary born of a woman or did she come down directly from heaven? She was born of a woman. Amen. She had a mom. She had a dad. And how many know she was alive at this time? How many know? So so here's to our Roman Catholic friends. We love you, but you're wrong, and we love you enough to tell you this. Listen to what the Scripture says. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now, why is he the greatest? The Bible says that it's because he got to see the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and prepare his way. He was a servant to the greatest servant of all. Don't have time to get into that, but that's the answer if you take time to look at the scriptures. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So those who are born again are greater than the greatest prophets who have come in the Old Testament. How many woke up this morning believing you're greater than the greatest prophets of the Old Testament? Did you wake up believing that today? 
Or did you wake up looking at yourself, believing all the lies that you tell yourself? Did you look at your crusty eyes, women without makeup, and scare yourself, and then have to paint yourself to love yourself? Did you, men, did you try to talk yourself into believing in yourself by doing muscles? Or did you just look in the mirror and say, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm born again. Have the Holy Spirit in greater than any Old Testament prophet. Now, somebody might say, well, pastor, you're taking that too far. Now, that's what Jesus said. He was literally teaching us that when you're in my kingdom born again, you're greater than the old covenant. In the new covenant, there's the spirit of power and grace that comes on all of us and indwells us. And that's a unique interaction that we have with God that no one else had, even John the Baptist. Now, look at verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. The King James says the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. So in other words, what they're using to push us back, we're using as motivation to push forward, and no devil in hell will stop us in Jesus' name. Amen? As we were getting persecuted during the time of COVID, one of the things that I would say to myself is, I'm more passionate about opening the church than they are about implementing socialism. Do you understand? One of the things I would like to say, and I don't know if I could because I can probably get scared at that moment and only say what the Lord would say, but I thought to myself as I was traveling around India and Nepal and different places, and we tried to go to Pakistan, but they wouldn't let us, but I always thought to myself, what would I do if I was captured by one of these ISIS who were persecuting me? One of the things that I felt in my spirit that I would want to say is I would want to say, look at me, Ahmed. Look at me right here, friend. As serious as you are about this, I'm more serious about Jesus. That would be one of the things I would like to say. Let's just get it clear right now. You think you're going to do something and go up there to paradise? I know you're going to hell. I'm about ready to meet Jesus. Let's get it started. One of the things that freaked me out when I was traveling was watching these people getting tortured by them. They would scream out and all of those things. I said, by God's grace, Lord, never let me do that. When it's time for me to die, if I still have my tongue, let me sing a hymn and let me preach the gospel because I'm more about this, more about Christ than they are about a false prophet. By God's grace, by God's grace, not in ourselves, amen. Otherwise, I would wet my pants. It's all by God's grace. Kingdom of heaven suffers violence. The violent take it by force. Here we say, see now in verse 12 that John the Baptist has been a part of this raiding and bringing forth of the kingdom. Now look at verse 13. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Now go back to our notes in John chapter 1. Jesus says, he, if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah to come. Yet when they ask him in verse 21, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Do you understand why a Bible teacher has to teach this so you don't think there's a contradiction between John the Baptist and Jesus? Now, I know some of you just want to hear Sunday school stories about Noah's Ark and these type of things, but how many want to learn the Bible? Okay, so we're going to learn the Bible. Now go to Luke chapter 1, verse 17. I said it last week, but I want to give you now the scripture evidence. You see, Elijah was taken to heaven in a fiery chariot. That's the real person, Elijah. His name is Elijah. He had a certain mom and dad. That person who lived at a certain time, who his story is told about in the book of Kings, he was taken to heaven. As a part of their understanding of the end times, the Jewish people had an idea that he will come back. We actually still believe that, those of us who think they're one, uh, Elijah is one of the two witnesses. So they're not too far off. 
But the problem is John the Baptist is not literally Elijah. Jesus clarifies in the harmony of the Gospels as we understand who he meant or what he meant by this statement. If you're willing to accept it, this one, John the Baptist, is Elijah. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 17. And he, talking about John the Baptist, will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of what? Of Elijah. Is he going to literally be Elijah? No, he's going to come in the what? The spirit and the what? power, thank you, of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So it's a both and. Do we believe Elijah is coming back? Yes, and I think the other witness is Enoch. That's what I personally believe. Every person is appointed once unto death. The Bible says these two have not died. I think these will be the end time witnesses. That's my personal opinion. Many share that with me, but it, it's something you can study. But in this sense, when John the Baptist is asked, hey, are you Elijah? He doesn't want to lead them on and say, yes, I'm Elijah, because what they're then going to say is, we are now thinking you are saying you're this guy who lived many years ago, ascended to heaven in a chariot, and has now come back. How many know he'd be lying if that's what he said? Because he had his own mom and dad, Zachariah and Elizabeth. He didn't have the mom and dad of Elijah. He didn't live those years ago. And there's not reincarnation, as some time of my new age friends try to figure it out, okay? It's the spirit of Elijah because he's reincarnated. No, my friends, go back to the granola, go back to the fruit, nuts, and flakes, and tell them to go look at the Bible. Are you listening to granola Christians? Tell the fruits, nuts, and flakes. Let's go back to the scripture, and you'll see that there's still a person called Elijah, and there's still a person called John the Baptist. But what made them similar is not reincarnation, is that the spirit and the power that was upon Elijah is upon John the Baptist. And that's why Jesus said, if you're willing to accept it, you'll understand this is the one that you're waiting for to do these things in my first coming. This is the one. So if they were willing to accept it, they could hear it as we're hearing it today. Now going back to the notes, please. They then ask him, are you the prophet? Now as we talked about before, this is that understanding that the Messiah and the prophet would be different. Because in Deuteronomy 18, Moses said, there'll come a prophet after me. And he will do all of these things like I have done. And the Bible says that no one was like Moses who spoke to God face to face and saw signs and wonders. And so then the Jewish people thought that the Messiah and the prophet would be different. But it's actually the Messiah is the prophet. And as I shared with you last week, this is where false prophets try to smuggle in their beliefs. Joseph Smith of the Mormon church said, hey, I'm the prophet. See, Jesus was the Messiah. John the Baptist was Elijah. I'm the prophet. And like I said before, the Middle Eastern version of of, uh, Latter-day Saints is Islam. Both of them, like Joseph Smith, like Muhammad, have a separate revelation. They meet angels. They then write another book, one the Quran, one the... the Book of Mormon, both of these based on demonic lies, but yet they smuggled themselves in by trying to say, Jesus, yes, was the Messiah, but we're this final prophet. And the Bible is very clear that Jesus is that prophet. So in other words, they were wrong in every understanding of what the Messiah was, who Elijah was, and what the prophet is. So don't follow the bogus interpretation of the Jewish people who ended up crucifying Jesus to get your theology. Follow Jesus 
Jesus in the testimony of the apostles, and you'll know that the Messiah was the prophet, and John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Can I hear an amen? Isn't that wonderful when the Bible comes together? And, and by the way, none of those false prophets did anything close to Jesus, and they're dead, and they're buried, and Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, keeping his promise to them that he would be greater than those prophets, greater. And not only did he raise from the dead, he ascended to heaven. How many believe he did that? By God's grace. And there he is seated at the right hand of the Father's throne, and he has sent the blessed Holy Spirit who now indwells us, and where the Holy Spirit is, and we're gathered together, there is Christ with us in the midst. Amen. Amen. Now, look at verse 22. Finally, they said, finally, okay, all right, you're denying all of these things. So then who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. He was preparing the way for the Lord's first coming. And as I said before, how many believe that we are now to be a John the Baptist generation, forerunners of the Lord's second coming? That before it was one person named John the Baptist preparing the way for the Lord, for him to come as that baby baby in the manger as people are thinking about at Christmas, but how many know he's not coming back as a baby in a manger, but as a conquering king riding upon a horse to subdue his enemies and to bring the kingdom of God upon this earth as it is in heaven, whether they like it or not, choo-choo, the gospel train is coming. Amen? Whether our governors like it or not, whether the rulers like it or not, the kingdom of God is coming to this earth through King Jesus. So sometimes people say, well, if we just saw Jesus or if we just got to hang out with him or get to see God in that kind of way, then we would believe. No, when humanity got to see Jesus like that, they crucified him. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and when left to our own devices, we'll deny and crucify our own Savior. This is the sinfulness of, of humanity. And yet on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And as was already said in this service when he breathed this last breath, as he was breathing, he said, it is finished. How many are glad he died for a sinner like you and a sinner like me? So that we can be new saints in Christ. So that we could be born again, getting a new nature, having a new relationship, a new indwelling of the Spirit of God, being children of God. As John has already taught us that as many as those received, received him, he gave the right to become children of God. How many are children of God today? Amen. Now we see here that after he said that, now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him and said, okay, well then, why do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? So if you're just a voice, why do you get to baptize? Baptism to them, submersion in water, was a sign of cleansing. This was generally done for those who came from Gentile backgrounds, the proselytes. So during this time, if people wanted to convert to Judaism, they would get circumcised and they would get washed. How many are glad we don't take you out back and circumcise you after an altar call. Oh, I want to accept Jesus. Are you sure? Because this is where you're going afterwards. Mike, go get the scissors. Let's do it. Let's see how serious they are. Well, after, you know, these processes, they would know you're serious. You got circumcised. You got washed. And so now John the Baptist, the unique thing about him is he's not just doing this baptism of repentance for the proselytes, for those coming from the Gentile non-Jewish religion. He's doing it with the Jews. 
And this is freaking out the Jewish leaders. Why are you baptizing people from our synagogue? Why are you calling these folks to repentance? Why are you even telling us we need to get washed in, repent, washed in repentance in this water? And then John the Baptist overlooks this question in this context, but he answers it in another, and I want you to see it in these other contexts. So they say, you know, why are you doing this? And he goes, I baptize with water. And that's where it stops here, but you're going to hear it in the other context. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. John here is giving us his story of um, uh, John the apostle, is giving us John the baptizer's answer, leaving out details, because John the apostle wants us to know the value of Christ in this story. If you remember, John chapter 1 starts with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How do the other gospels start, like Matthew and Luke, genealogies, telling you the story of of Mary and so forth. I believe this is why you don't get all the details. And I'm going to go into surround sound with you. Because if you come to my house, we have surround sound. And if we isolated one sound watching a movie, you might only hear the walking on the grass. And as you're hearing the walking on the grass, you might think, is that all that's happening? I see people's lips moving. I see other things going on. But all I'm hearing is the grass. Well, that's because I isolated that sound. Are you listening? See, if I put it all together, you'll hear the walking on the grass. You'll hear the communication of the people. You'll hear the cars driving in the background because that's what surround sound does. In other words, John the Baptist is isolating and focusing on one thing right here. And what he is saying back to them is basically, as John the Apostle is wanting us to hear, is John the Baptizer is saying, hey, don't you worry about that. Worry about the one who's among you because he's so great, I can't even stoop down and tie, untie his chanclas, his sandals. I love that about this retelling of the story, not contradicting, but complimenting. And then in verse 28, this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. How many are ready for the surround sound? Come on, somebody say, I'm a voice. Amen. Let's go now to Matthew. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and onward. Now, Matthew is going to teach us a little bit more, put some meat on the bones of what's going on in these conversations. Now, having said that, it's the same thing about John the Baptist. He's out there for days and weeks and months preaching. And once again, if I was to take all that we have from the Gospels about what John the Baptist is doing, I've already talked more than him. So how many know he was saying more than what we're just hearing here, but we're hearing the summary. Somebody go, ah, makes sense, doesn't it? Once again, I have spoke more words than that we have of John the Baptist. I have spoke more words already in this sermon than we have of John the Baptist in the Gospels, and he was preaching for months. Why is that important? Because when we're harmonizing the scriptures, we have to understand the purpose for what we're given. It must be important if it made its way into scripture. It must be important if it was then penned by the scribes and then preserved from one generation to the other as they were mocking us and killing us, even using some of our scrolls for their own funerals and putting it upon their dead to disgrace our scriptures. For this to be handed down by the blood of the martyrs, it ought to be taken serious that what we learn now about John the Baptist is important enough for us to take our time and implement it into our lives. Can I hear an amen? 
Amen. So I wanted you to be prepared for that. So now Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, and there will be some similarity. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judah, uh, Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Mm, we didn't see that in John, did we? How many are liking this right now? You see, we're putting a little bit of meat on the bones. You see, go back up to John. Go back up to John. Anything about repentance said here? This is all of John's recollections of Jesus, uh, aside from when he gets ready to baptize him. We'll be talking about that, Lord willing, next week. But as you scroll through it, any message here on repentance? No, but when Matthew starts, what does Matthew now say? He's talking about repentance. Once again, and I don't have time to go into all the details of why each gospel writer is doing what they're doing, but I believe the reason why Matthew is doing this is because he's primarily writing to Jewish people, and he wants them to know right at the beginning, boots on the ground, what John the Baptist is doing. He is preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus the king is here. Jesus is bringing the new covenant. Repent of your sins. And he's going to start naming those things out. This was spoken. Uh, this is he who was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Matthew now telling us, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare for the Lord, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his wa- waist. He is, his food was locusts and wild honey. How many just learned something about John the Baptist's diet? You see, there's John the Baptist. He's a wild man. And as I told you guys before, sometimes people think, well, that must have been normal then. No, that wasn't normal then. (laughs) This wasn't normal back then. This was weird back then. A lot of times we think of people like in the, in the past, like they were just all weird. No, they were pretty normal. Like you would look at a locust. Like how you look at a locust now, that's how they looked at a locust. When you look at a locust, you go, I don't want to eat that. That's how they looked at it 2,000 years ago. It's not like back then they were just so excited about eating locusts. There are people today who eat locusts. How many know that? They're raising bugs for protein. That's a whole other discussion. John the Baptist did it first. So his food was locusts and wild honey. All that you need to live. Literally, he has his carbs, he has his proteins. There's the Bible diet right there for you. Want to lose some weight. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. So now we know what's going on. All these people are coming out to him because they're hearing about what he's saying. Now look at verse 6. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan. So why is he baptizing? He's baptizing. John, John the apostle, wants us to know John the Baptist's partial answer there is all about Christ being among them. He's not worthy to, you know, untie his chonclas. But how many know now Matthew is explaining to us why is he baptizing? He's baptizing because he's preaching repentance. He's baptizing because he wants people to repent of their sins and see the outward sign of being washed as an inward, as a sign of the inward demonstration of what God did in their heart, that they were cleansed, the outward sign of the inner reality. Now, verse 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you nice guys, I'm so glad you came today. Highlight what he said to them, and let's say it on the count of three. Even the little sweet you, I want you to say it on the count of three because it's the Bible. Y'all ready? What did he say to them? One, two, three. Oh, you cuss now. You all cussed in church. 
See, everybody thinks that they talk nice to one another all the time. Oh, I love you. You love me. Do you know that this was bringing God's curse and judgment on them? If I called you a female dog today, you'd get upset with it. It starts with a B, ends with an H, right? If I called you a female dog, how many would be upset with that and think I was being quite vulgar? How many know if you call a Jew a snake, it's even worse? Do you understand? Now, this doesn't give us permission to cuss people out and have vulgar language. I've seen some Christians do this, and I'm like, you oompa loompas, what is wrong with you? Would you please use some spiritual sense? The idea is that words describe actions. And when the prophets or the people of God use words, they should describe actions. And sometimes when you're describing actions, you have to curse the behavior. So this is not a curse that is a flippant word. This is cursing the behavior of God's people acting like slithering, sneaky, sinful snakes. And so he has no problem telling them that. You are a bunch of vipers. You sneak around and you sin and you deceive and you bring all of your poison to wherever you go. That's what he said to the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then he said, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Like who told you to come out here and do something about it? And the right answer, the right answer would have been the Bible. And John, I'm humbling myself, and I'm ready to receive. That would have been more similar to um, Nicodemus' response to Jesus in John chapter 3. But here we see that, that John is seeing through their, their curiosity. They're not really there because they're curious in a sense to learn. They're there to be haters. And how many know haters always be checking you out? Sometimes they'll be on your Facebook more than your friends and family because haters are always looking for something to say against you. And that's why he says to them, he says, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath, verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. How many are glad for the message of John the Baptist? How many, are, how, many, how many are happy? You're not mad. Can I hear an amen? You're not mad. You're glad in Jesus' name. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't you think you can say to yourselves, we're Americans. We can do what we want. In other words, we're citizens of a nation that gives us these rights. That's why we're uh, loved by God. He says to them, don't you say we're a we have Abraham as our father, as if you coming from the Abrahamic line changes what I'm telling you. Oftentimes we hear this in our culture. Why well, I'm this. Why well, I'm that. This doesn't apply to me. It applies to everybody. Why well, I'm a pastor when I preach sometimes. Well, my dad's a pastor. It doesn't matter. If your dad was an astronaut, that doesn't mean you can go to the moon today. Are you listening? Well, my dad is the preacher. Well, it doesn't mean anything. Are you saved? Do you know Jesus? Can I hear an amen if you know Jesus? I'm not talking about does your mama know Jesus. I'm asking you, do you know Jesus? He said, don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God could raise up children for Abraham. How many know if he made us out of dust, he can make us out of stones if he wants? Now look at verse 10. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's good preaching right there. That if we're not doing the things that Christ has asked us to do, that really our confession is in vain. Yes, we're saved by faith, not by works. It's by God's grace. We don't boast in these things. But our grace, uh, the grace that God has given us, being graced rather, should produce good fruit. How many want to see good fruit in your life today? That should be the desire. And so if you're not seeing good fruit, you should check the root. So if your fruit's bad, it's probably because your root is bad. And as John is saying here, God is merciful 
to give you time to get it right. But if these folks do not want to get it right, he says that axe is right there at the root of the tree, and it's about ready to cut you down. How many ever heard a song by Johnny Cash, God's going to cut you down? Nobody? A couple Johnny Cash fans here? That's right. God's going to cut you down. He will. He will cut you down. He'll cut me down. Pastors can't say to themselves, well, I'm just a pastor. You know, it's okay if I backslide every now and then I live on holy. I'm a pastor. I'm a child of Abraham. In other words, God says through John the Baptist, that's not going to matter. Your confession, your, your talking must match your walking. And if your walking's not matching your talking, you're going to be cut down. Now look at verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, who sandals I'm not worthy to carry. Now do you notice where John did right in giving us an answer? It wasn't a wrong answer. It's this John cut through all of those other answers. Do you all of us see that? Let's go back to our uh, notes. Scroll up, please. Everybody can see. Just scroll up all the way to John. Notice when Jesus, uh, John the Baptist is talking here, and he tells them who he is. Now go on to verse 24, please. Notice they ask him, why do you baptize? Now he doesn't go on to this answer, I'm baptizing you for repentance. He doesn't say that there, does he? He doesn't say that I'm here to teach you to do X, Y, and Z. No. He says, I baptize you with water, and then he goes right to, and then there's somebody among you whose straps I cannot untie. Does everybody get that? Okay, let's go back to Matthew. Put some meat on the bones. See what happened in between those statements. I baptize you with water. Do you notice right here? Highlight, I baptize you with water. Highlight, I baptize you with water, please. That's where John, the gospel writer in his gospel, gives you that part of the answer. And then he goes right here to but after me. Go to but after me to highlight that, please. And what part did he skip over in, in John's retelling? What part did he skip over? For repentance. Once again, why do I believe in John's gospel he does not give that clarification? Because John wants you to know that John the Baptist does not give a rip or a flip about what these guys are on. He's about Jesus Christ coming. Now Matthew, because he's writing to a Jewish audience, wants to make sure that they have enough understanding that they can't say, well, he didn't really answer us clearly as this story is being retold as the gospel of Matthew goes out. Once again, no contradiction, complimentary. I bet baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in what? Fire. Now this is something, go back, uh, verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. You see, my friends who say that baptism in water saves you are teaching a false doctrine. They some There are Church of Christ and Oneness Pentecostals. Oneness Pentecostals are wrong for many different reasons. They deny the Trinity. But they also teach this damnable heresy that the Church of Christ teaches, as well as Roman Catholicism, Orthodox, etc. Now, whether or not this is something that will cost someone their soul, this is between them and God, but it is false and it's damnable because people then think, because I was baptized, I was saved, and yet there's no repentance. They do it for their children, and you can baptize a pig and it's still a pig. Can I hear an amen? You have to be repentive, you have to have repentance, and you have to have Christ transform your heart for this to mean anything. The water doesn't save, Christ saves, okay? But I want you to notice that John's baptism was in line for repentance, that this was something that you did for repentance. Our water baptism, though it symbolizes in some ways the death, burial, and resurrection, and we've been taught that, and I think that's very true, but the water baptism is more than just representing our repentance. It represents being filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. 
So in other words, next time we baptize you in water, we should do like they do at some of those Las Vegas acts, spray some uh, gasoline in there, light that thing on fire, and have you get dipped down in that because that's what it's also symbolizing. Baptism for the believer is not just for repentance. Notice that's the differentiation. He said, this is what I'm doing. That's strictly what I'm doing, in other words. It's for repentance. But the one coming after me is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Amen. Go to Acts chapter 1 just so you can see it clearly there. As Jesus teaches, Jesus will reiterate the teaching of John. In perfect harmony, verse 4 of chapter 1 in Acts. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with what? Water. But in a few days you'll be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. And we understand that fire comes on them in Acts chapter 2 as the flames are over them and they speak in other tongues. Once again, we are historic to the Christian faith, believing that it is by faith that someone is saved, not through the baptism of the Holy Spirit evidenced by speaking in other tongues. But I would be wrong to tell you that that is all there is is a salvation message from Christ. There is a salvation message from Christ, obviously, which is the most important, but there is also an endowment message of power from Christ, a baptism not only of water representing our salvation and our washing, but a baptism of the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, that gives us fire and power to be witnesses and to preach the gospel with signs and wonders following and the gospel being confirmed by the power of God. So we believe in both. That's why you might say, Pastor, sometimes I hear you preach you're like a Baptist. Other times I hear you preach you're like a Pentecostal. That's right, baby, I'm Baptocostal in this place. Hallelujah. We'll, we'll preach it like Billy Graham. It will also preach it like Reinhard Bonnke. Amen. You see, Christ is teaching us through John the Baptist that a baptism of water is all they had in that Old Testament. But there was a greater one coming with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, as he continues on, verse 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand. And that's kind of like that fork you'd see them using in doing the work of agriculture. His winnowing fork is in his hand. They would take the grain, throw it up, and the chaff would blow away. And his, it's his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, and all of that chaff is going to be burned with what kind of fire? Unquenchable fire. Don't let anybody tell you the fire goes out. Some people, even who are Christians right now, are arguing like Jehovah Witnesses, teaching that there is an annihilation at the end, that the unbeliever simply annihilated. The Bible is very clear with these words. That is unquenchable, a fire that never goes out, a worm that never dies. Now there is discussion among good Christians. Is this symbolic? Is fire symbolic of something? Are worms symbolic of memory? Is the fire symbolic of the torment of what you should have done and so forth, C.S. Lewis? wrote a fictional book, The Great Divorce, and he counts fire and worms as these mental torments that uh, people in hell will go through, and that hell is locked from the inside, not the outside. It is the choice of the unbeliever to be there, and so forth. It's an interesting book, but I am still of the persuasion that these words are to be taken literal. Those who do not know Christ will be in a little literal lake of fire. In that fire, they will be burned, but not consumed. In that fire, there will be, there will be worms that crawl in and out of the flesh, and that is what it will be like for their eternity. How many want to go to heaven and not hell? Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to heaven 
with or without you. <laughs> there ain't nothing in hell that I want to go there for. I'm going to hell so I can be with my friends. No, I'm not going to hell to be with you. First of all, we won't be with each other. And second of all, even if I could be with you, that's not what I call heaven anyway. <laughs> I call heaven being with Jesus. Amen. The Bible teaches us that this is what John the Baptist was baptizing for, repentance. Now, let's keep going. I'm going to give you these points in just a moment, but go now to the book of Luke. Go to Luke chapter 3, verse 7. If you're learning something, somebody say, I'm learning. Amen. We're working the word today. John gave us the understanding in an overview, a brief summary about what John the Baptist was doing and that he was a voice and he was preparing the way of the Lord. And we learned from John that John the Baptist is not the Messiah. He's not Elijah the person and he's not the prophet. We then learned from the recollection of Matthew that John the Baptist was preaching repentance to both Jew and Gentile. That he was talking about the wrath of God to come and he was warning people that they ought not to use their national identity or anything in the flesh as pride to get out of that rebuke. But rather they should bring forth good fruit. Now look at Luke chapter 3 verse 7. This is going to have a little bit of John and a little bit of Matthew. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him. Highlight that again. What did he say to them on the count of three? We're all going to say it together. One, two, three. Brood of vipers. Amen. That's what he said. Now watch this. You're going to see some things you remember from Matthew, but there's going to be some extra things. Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now look at verse 10. Because as I said before, he's doing this probably for months. He's preaching like this for months. Don't you think somebody would have had a question at some point? Not just the Pharisees, not just the Sadducees, but there would be real questions, genuine questions like, John, what are we supposed to do? Help us understand. Now you get the understanding of what it was like as he interacted with people. Verse 10, what should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Isn't that powerful? He began to teach them about Christian charity. He said, it can't just be about your four and no more. If you have extra clothes, give it away. And I would apply that to our lives today. Don't just sell things at a garage sale so you can put more in your garage. Give it away in Jesus' name. Amen? Give away those things that are in your house that you don't need if you have extra. And not only that, but do things for others as you would want done unto you. Prepare food and give it out. Not just inviting over your friends and family, those who love you when you have Thanksgiving, but vide over your enemies, vide over those who are rejected by society. Open the doors of your home and your lifestyle and your car and all that God has given you to be generous in this life. How many believe those who care for the poor, God will care and take care of them? Amen. The Bible says those who care for the poor, God takes care of them. John the Baptist taught them charity as we would know it as today. Look at verse 12. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. I love it how it says it like that. Even these guys, even these dirty, rotten scoundrels. That's what, that's what Matthew is saying. But you know what's funny is what was Matthew? Who knows what his occupation was? 
He's a tax collector. Nobody knows how crooked they are except the crook who used to be with them, right? He used to be the fox in the hen house. He knows what these guys are like. And he even has to admit, oh, even some of my friends used to go out there. And possibly Matthew could have been hanging around John the Baptist during this time. Because remember, he had an interest in Jesus. And chances are it didn't start that day. When did that interest begin? It could have began during the time of John the Baptist. He could even be referring to himself here. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than what is required to, he told them. How many believe that message needs to be said today? To all of our governmental leaders, praise God. Needs to be said to every business owner in the name of Jesus. Don't exploit your workers. Treat them well. And then socialism won't have an argument against us. Amen? We'll show them how capitalism works without corruption. And then we'll show the world that we are to be followed and to be admired, not to be mocked and ridiculed. If all politicians would only take what they need, if all businesses would only take what they need and use the profits to reinvest into their employees and to innovation, we could see America be great again. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. But what about us? Don't take more than what you need. In other words, apply the same principle of Christian charity to your life. As the Bible says in the book of Acts, they shared with those around them. There are those here today that can give more than a tithe. You can be sacrificial in your giving because you don't require that. Others, you have a lot of time on your hands. And these are things that God has given you as a gift so you can give to others to be a father to the fatherless, a mother to the motherless. Verse 14, then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And this would be like the police because the military policed the people. And they asked, what should we do? Don't extort money and don't excuse, accuse people falsely, but be content with your pay, right? And when they're down on the ground and they say they can't breathe, don't keep kneeling on them for 12 minutes, right? Use some common sense. And if you're going to use force, use it appropriately so that we can support our law enforcement and not be ashamed of them when they act wickedly. Because I respect law enforcement, and I know they attend our church, but they will even tell you they have seen their peers abuse their authority. So if the Christians and the law enforcement would do what's right and then set the standard, these that are the bad apples would have no place to hide. Aren't you happy that he knew how to speak to the soldiers? God gave him words for the, uh, go up to the uh, verse 11, I believe. He gave him words to the crowd. God gave him words to speak to the crowd. Thank you. He gave him words to speak to the tax collectors. He gave him words to speak to soldiers. Now let's continue on. Verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might be the Messiah. Now, these are things we've heard before. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who's more powerful than I will come. The straps whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Isn't it something that in all three of our recollections, we hear about how amazing Jesus is? Isn't that something that they all focus on that sentence that he would say? And then now he goes on, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather weed into his barn, but to burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now look at verse 18. And with many other words, somebody say many other words. Amen. Now we understand why I've summarized the way I did, or, or rather gave an explanation of the summary, is because it says here in many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. And here we now see how he will die. Look at verse 19. But when John rebuked Herod, so he was rebuking soldiers and he kept preaching. 
He was rebuking the crowd, and then he kept preaching. He would rebuke tax collectors, and he would keep preaching. But look at what happens when he began to rebuke the politicians. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch, or Herod the ruler of that area, because of his marriage to Herodias, he was taking basically his brother's wife, his brother's wife, all the others, and all the other things he had done. Somebody saying all the other evil things. It wasn't. It's. It's not. It's not just that Mary. Uh, Mary heavy foot, I mean light foot, is a homosexual. It's that she's a homosexual and she's corrupt and she's a liar and she's wicked. Are you listening to me? We'll preach it here, what they're afraid to say in Jesus' name. I don't need her for a photo op. I need her to repent. The only thing I, come on somebody, I don't need to ask her for free garbage pickup and for help with our community center. I need her to repent and get married to a man and live according to the word of God and fear the Lord. Amen? But that kind of preaching will cost you, won't it? Because as he preached to this wicked man about his adultery with his brother's wife, his sister-in-law, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. And then because of this dancing girl and so forth, she, the woman that he's cheating on his, you know, so complicated, it's like a soap opera here, Telenova here. Help me, Jesus, to say what happened here. So the woman that is the one that's having the affair had a daughter, and she danced like Beyonce. She danced like Cardi B and turned on this wicked man. Think about this, how wicked this man is in the Bible. He has an affair with his sister-in-law, and then he's turned on by now uh, what would be his adoptive daughter. Some may say that's gross. Amen, that's gross. And then because of that, this woman, as having the wickedness in her heart, not liking the preacher, used the perversion of her daughter to turn on her stepdad. She used that perversion so that John would be beheaded. And because of that, John went down as a martyr before the new covenant came forth. But as we heard from the beginning, there was no one greater born of women than John the Baptist. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, that was the introduction. Are you guys ready for the sermon? Are you ready for the sermon? I just had to read it all. I just had to read it. I just didn't want you to take my word that those stories were there. Now we have 12 points of application. Are you ready? (laughs) Hallelujah. Half kid, half kid. But I do want to give some application. I've done it along the way, hopefully, to encourage you to keep it interesting as we were going through the historical narratives of John the Baptist. Let's go to number one, 12 ways to be a voice like John the Baptist. Number one, we have to know who Jesus is and to know who we are. Does everybody here know who Jesus is? I pray that you do. I pray that you can confess with your heart that he is Lord. Christ is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. There is no one like our Jesus. Here we talk about other religions. Some people say we don't talk about that where I go to church. That's why I don't go to your church, okay? I go to this church so I can talk about it. We talk about other religions here because there's nobody like my Jesus. I love Roman Catholics. I hate Roman Catholicism. I love Muslims, but I hate Islam. Are you listening to me? I love my Hindu neighbors. I love them, but I hate Hinduism. 
All of these are demonic deceptions. There's only one way. There's only one truth. There's only one life, and his name is Jesus Christ. You need to know that he is the Mashiach in Hebrew, the anointed one of God, that he took upon flesh to be our Savior, to die on the cross. May that story never become old to us. He took our place. He took what you and I deserve so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be given a new life, and that we should go through life every day cross-eyed, seeing the cross of Christ in all that we do. If we go tomorrow to the business world, we should see the cross of Christ there and be Christian businessmen because what kind of businessmen are the best? Christian businessmen. If we go out and our janitors, we should go there with the cross of Christ, representing Jesus in all we do because who are the best janitors? Christian janitors. Can I hear an amen? When we're homeschooling, when we're taking care of our family, all for the glory of God, all to Jesus. It's all for Him, amen? We're like but grass. We're here today and gone tomorrow like the flowers of the field, like a vapor, but Christ and His Word will remain forever and those in the kingdom of God will be with Him, ruling and reigning. Know who Jesus is. And then know who you are. What is your specific calling that you've been called to do? Have you been called to be weird and wear weird clothes and eat a weird diet and go out somewhere where no one really would go? Is that what you're called to do? We need weirdies for Jesus. Amen? I don't want everybody to be cooker cutter. How many are glad that there's some weirdies in the church? Don't look at them. Don't, look, don't make them feel nervous. You don't know they might get offended. But you know there's always some weird people in our family, in the church, and if you can't think of one, you're that one. That's why you're like, I don't know. My mom's normal. I'm normal. My husband's normal. Because you're the weirdie, ma'am. You're the weirdie. No, I'm kidding. Half kid. I know I'm weird at times, doing things that are different, you know, trying things that are different. This is a part of our calling. We are peculiar people. We are, uh, we are strangers in a strange land. But even more than just looking at John the Baptist's example in that way, just understand, what are you supposed to do? Who are you supposed to be in this world? A mother, a father, you know, starting with your family. Who are you supposed to be when you come into the workplace? Who are you supposed to be when you're there interacting with those who don't feel the same way about God or the Bible as you do? How will you be in those situations? I call you to be like John the Baptist, a voice, to use your influence, to use your gifts and your talents for the things of God. I was talking to a scientist yesterday, and he was saying to me, because he knew I was a Christian, he said, Uh, Do you believe in science? Like he thought that was an appropriate question. God bless his dear heart. Yes, sir, I believe in science. My God created it. That's why you do it (laughs) in Jesus' name. But he felt like he had to ask that question. Like, like, do you all believe in that? Like as if like, it's a good Christian answer to say, no, I don't believe in science. I'm against science. I'm, I'm for anything that's true because all truth finds itself rooted in God. We're thinking the thoughts after God. We're thinking God's thoughts after him. The reason why we can do math, the reason why we can do science, the reason why we can do things in hospitals is because of the mind of God and the image of God that we bear. Amen? And so know who Jesus is. Know who you are. That's what we learned from John the Baptist as we're a voice. Number two, call out to people to make straight the way for the Lord. Now notice this. It's not just saying to them to be straight, and that could be used in two different ways, straight as in the path of holiness and straight as in heterosexual. How many believe that? How many believe it's still good to be heterosexual in this world? Okay, so we don't say that as an insult to our gay and lesbian friends. I love every gay, lesbian, transsexual person, but I hate your lifestyle in Jesus' name. I, I, don't, I don't agree with it. I love abortionists, and I love those who get abortions, but I hate abortion. It's murder in Jesus' 
Jesus' name. Okay, so let's just clarify that. We love people who live in sin. We love them despite their wicked behavior, their filthiness. But what do we give them? Not just the judgment of God against their behavior, which is true. This is the judgment of God against your behavior. And if they say back to you, well, only God is my judge, what should you say back to them? And that should scare the hell out of you. Only God can judge me. And that should literally scare the hell out of you because that's where you're going when God judges you the way I see you today, right? It's the way you're living according to your fruit. That's where he said you'll go. But notice we're not just saying to them, you guys get straight. But we're also saying make straight the way for the Lord. In other words, the Bible is a communal book. It's written to communities. You are not supposed to just be doing the right thing. You're preparing a way for others to see the right thing. We're following behind him. He's making that path, and we're following behind him. But then we make a path for him. So it's almost like a cycle. I follow Jesus. And as I'm following Jesus into the future, I see that Christ is going to be coming behind the path that we're uh, making as we're following him. Does everybody get that? See, Jesus is going to come after I've been here, even though he's already been here. Do you all get it? Oh, come on. Everybody get this. If I'm preparing a way for the Lord, does that mean the Lord has not been here yet? He's created everything. But I'm preparing a way for him. How in the world am I preparing a way for the God who's the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last? What I'm doing is preparing a generation for him to come back a second time. Do you see how that works? I'm following the Lord, preparing a way for the Lord. There's a way maybe everyone can understand it. And so what it's meant to be is that as you're following Jesus, like Paul, you now say to others, come follow me. You now say to your family, come follow me. You now say to your neighbors, come follow me. Somebody say, follow me as I follow Jesus. Amen. Vinny, would you come, please? The natives of second service are getting restless. Chill out, guys. I know you got to sleep in, but... Morning service is here. Come on. Help the natives back there for me, please. Hallelujah. Number three, be humble. Do you notice in every one of those recollections, you see that John the Baptist is very clear. I'm not even worthy. I mean, let's just get this in our, our understanding. What, he said, I'm not even worthy to bend down and touch his sandals. That's how awesome our God is. That when Moses would meet with Jesus, because remember we learned in John that any interaction of those of the Old Testament, it's actually through the Son. When Moses meets with Jesus, Moses is told, you can't even wear your sandals here. You're on holy ground, let alone get that close to me to touch my sandals, to touch his feet. John the Baptist says, that one that is so above us, that one that is so greater than us, is actually among us. Do you see the beauty of the incarnation? Is it any wonder in Philippians chapter 2, when Paul wants to teach on humility, what example does he pull from? So think about it. Paul's a Bible preacher. He's going to use a Bible example. He's not going to teach about humility and then tell you a story about the cat and the hat. Remember that one time the cat was really humble? Remember that time with Tom and Jerry and they were humble? No, when Paul tells you a story about humility, what is he going to do? He's going to pick out a story from the Bible. And which one does he go to? Does he go towards Abraham? No. 
Does he go towards Noah being humble? No, he goes towards Christ. He says, Christ, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he took upon him, he made himself nothing, and took upon himself the form of a servant, that he might become obedient even unto death. He tells the story of the incarnation. Let this be a reminder that no one here is above the example of Jesus being a servant. We serve people. We serve them. Even though we may have to rebuke, correct, teach them, we serve people. Husbands and wives serve each other. Children serve your parents. Family serve your community. Church serve this neighborhood. On your job, be a servant, even though you have to be stern. Maybe you're a soldier. Maybe you're a police officer. Maybe you're a CEO. Yes, you have to have boldness and integrity and strength and vigor and all of these things, but do it in humility. Do it as Christ did it. That's what we learned from John the Baptist. The next thing is that we need to preach repentance. Repentance is actually not a bad word according to the Bible, is it? Repentance would be similar to debt cancellation. If I said to you, I'm preaching debt cancellation today for your mortgages, your credit cards, and your student loans, how many are coming shouting to church today? Debt cancellation service, I'm coming. Woo, woo, debt cancellation. Cancel my mortgage, cancel my business loan. Oh, I'm ready for some debt cancellation. But yet we hear the word repentance and people get offended. You know, stupid is as stupid does. They don't understand. And that's why we're here to help them in humility. They don't understand. We're offering them through Christ, obviously through Christ, the debt cancellation of all their sins. The debt cancellation of all one's sin. To be sorrowful and to turn from that which you've been doing that's been against God's law. That, that which has been considered transgressing against the law of, of God. The word sin, missing the mark. We're calling people to be remorseful of that. To change their way of thinking. Metanoia. To change the way they think. To be metamorphosized, transformed in their thinking. And to return with that heart towards God to serve and to love him because Jesus said if you love me you'll do what I've commanded hallelujah can you go up to number five so we can see it please Look, number four as well you, I know you want me to get going brother but I need to see where I'm at thank you he's already on number six gotta go to number five now but listen to this when you preach repentance in humility and you and I mean it from the right heart we'll be different than the world We'll be different than the world, and they'll ask us, what are you doing out here? Remember when Jesus said, who did you guys go out to see in the wilderness? Somebody dressed in fancy clothes? No, those fancy dressed people, they're down there over at the fashion show, the lake shore. They're there, uh, you know, blogging on YouTube. Why did you go way over there to diversity and long? Why did you go out there? John the Baptist says, because you went out there to hear a voice. You went out there to hear the truth. And you see, you need to ask uh, people around you that you can trust, Christians, and say, do I live this in such a way that causes people to question, what am I doing? Why am I so different? And we'll help you as a Christian to begin to live differently so that people on your job will say, what is about you? I was uh, at the mall a few months ago, and I was you know, walking with my wife, and there was a saleswoman for a vacation package. And you might see those that are out there. 
And I began to talk to her, but within a few moments, I, I just appreciated her skill, her tenacity, her professionalism. And I said, uh, this is not for me, but I just want to let you know you are good at what you do. I can tell that you are going to be successful. She said, oh, thank you. I just started. I've only been here a week or so. That really makes me feel good because I'm so nervous. This past week, I went back to the mall. And I knew I was passing by that same place, so I was looking for her. I saw her. We made eye contact. She ran up to me, and she said, guess what? The last couple of months, I've been the top salesperson, not only in this mall, but in all of the places where we are stationed out of our business. And then I began to speak to her more, and I'm building a time to testify and to preach to her. But you see, there's something different, because at the end of that conversation, she said, thank you so much for encouraging me and believing in what I could do. You see, people want to see that we have something different to offer them. As Christians, I do believe we have to preach repentance and the wrath of God. We'll get into all of that in just a moment. But we have to teach them there's a reason for that. I'm not just a preacher of repentance so that we can all just talk about sin all day. I'm preaching repentance so we can get off the path of destruction onto the path of everlasting life and do something in this planet that brings the kingdom of God to this earth. Are you listening? We're not just against everything. We're for the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God will impact every sphere of society. We're different than the world. Encourage yourself to do that. Give yourself permission to take risks, to be a friend, to encourage others. Number six, now warn them about God's wrath and encourage them to produce good fruit. By God's grace, I hope that I get another chance to meet with her because then I think it would be appropriate after I've built this short-term friendship with her on her job because I like to respect people's boundaries, especially when they're working. I've learned that over the years that that's their time to work, not to listen to me preach to them. That's just my conviction, but please preach to whoever you feel the Lord telling you to preach to. But we have to warn them now, don't we? I've been uh, taking up new hobbies. I know it's kind of fun. Like, what is pastor doing now? So I wakeboard in the summer, skateboard between the winter, and now I'm starting snowboarding, okay? So I go snowboarding with these guys, and I've made friends with them from the wakeboarding and the skateboarding. We all do it together. We're all boarding, and I'm old enough to be their dad. And I fall down a lot, and they laugh at me, and then they help me. They take me on the baby hill. But the other day, we were out, and you get these ski lifts that take you up high, you know, maybe high enough to get some people scared, but not most people. You kind of look down. You might, you might ask them, hey, are you ready to meet Jesus if we were to fall off this thing? But that's not appropriate anyways. So I'm with this gentleman, and we're going up, and I just start to ask him, what do you think about God? What do you think about Jesus? And I began to preach to him my testimony. And he began to be so interested. And I'm building that relationship with him. Of course, I want him to get saved right there on the ski lift. But we had to move on to the next thing. And I don't want him to think I'm using our friendship of wakeboarding and snowboarding to just preach to him. Because I truly like snowboarding with him. But I'm asking God for the right time and place to warn him about the wrath of God. Because it's not good enough to be a good person. You have to be born again if you want to see this kingdom. Point people to Jesus. Point people to the Holy Spirit's fire. You see, if you start off living this in front of them 
and you start showing them a different life, they're going to want to know where that's coming from, and you just keep pointing back to Jesus. Like our sister here, why would you and some ladies go spend the night in the parking lot, you know, nights in the parking lot? Why would you do that? Because of Jesus. If Jesus would come from heaven to earth, I can go to the west side and stay out there and preach to the community. She went on the news. The news asked her, why are you ladies sleeping out in a parking lot? because I'm going to do more than just preach against the violence. I'm going to come into those areas and bring them Jesus and the Holy Ghost fire. Amen. You have to go where they're at. That's why when I first came to Chicago, I began witnessing at Belmont and Clark. You would think, Pastor, that's the last place I think you would be. No, I went out there every Friday and Saturday night, and for the most part, they respected me as I preached to them continually. As I've told you before, I actually did a lesbian's grandfather's funeral because when it came to her grandfather passing, they asked the family, who do we know to do the funeral? And she said, well, I only know of one pastor. He's the one always on Belmont and Clark preaching to us. Imagine that. Imagine her calling me up, knowing my stance on homosexuality, saying, would you do my grandfather's funeral? And I preached about Jesus, heaven, and hell, and accepting Christ. And she knew that I believed without her repentance, accepting Christ, she would go to hell. Clearly, I didn't compromise. And yet, there was a place for me to bring the grace. Number eight, care for the poor. It's not just about us. We have to care for others, go out of our way. Look at our closet and see what we can give away. All the time, you should be asking yourself that. What can I give away? What don't I need here? What can I give away? On our uh, Facebook pages, we have uh, Good Samaritan pages. Uh, we have a Good Samaritan page on one of our Facebook pages where you can join, put up your things, drop it off here at church, and we are exchanging goods and items like that for, uh, for free with people all the time. Take care of the poor. Number nine, preach against corruption and greed, extortion and lies, and preach the gospel and rebuke political immorality. We could probably spend a whole lot of time on those things. You've heard our thoughts on that before. There's other messages on that. But what we need to do is keep preaching. You can't let this culture take your voice. You are called to be a voice. Where you see the corruption and greed, speak out against it. Where you see the extortion, speak out against it. Where you see the political immorality, speak out against it. But sandwich it in with the gospel. Amen? Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus today, making us a voice? Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? I want to be a voice crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straightest paths with every head bowed and eyes closed and an attitude of prayer if you don't know Jesus ask him to be the Lord of your life today make a confession unto salvation ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life and he'll transform you and change you right now repent of your sins come to Jesus in a few moments these prayer workers that are up here would love to pray for you you can have them pray with you but even now talk to Jesus for repentance and salvation the rest of us in an attitude of prayer would you search your heart is there anything holding you back today from being a voice for the Lord I want to look at my heart with the Holy Spirit's guidance and see, am I holding back anything? Am I not doing the good I'm supposed to do? Or am I doing things wrong that I'm supposed to be doing and I need to change? A few moments, look at your heart. I want to be a voice. 
Give me love for the mayor, God. Help me be humble in her eyes. Let her see that I'm not coming at her in boastfulness or proudness. Oh, God, but I want to see her change. I want to see the nation change, oh, God. Help me, oh, Lord, when I correct and rebuke. Let there not be a, a, a shock jock just way about me because I'm bold. But, Lord, let there be a sincerity that even the enemies of the gospel see in me, oh, Jesus. I'm praying. Are you praying? I know I've got to check my heart and how I come across in boldness. What's the issues of your life that could be hindering the way you come across? Maybe some of you are just always shy. You're always building the relationships. You're always encouraging, but you're never warning. Ask the Lord to make you a warner today at that coffee talk with your girlfriends that you're going to bring it up, that you're going to say, hey, I just want to tell you about heaven and hell today. Can I do that? Bring it up with your guys on the basketball court. Come on, let's pray. A few moments right now. And then we'll dismiss those who don't know Jesus. Ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life today. Those who do know Jesus, ask him to make you a voice. And then lastly, those who are not baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, this is an empowerment after salvation, not for salvation, but after salvation. You are welcome today to come up and receive prayer for that gift to be imparted to you. But even right now, those who have already received that gift, you can begin to pray in heavenly language. And those who desire...